Hi, and welcome to the Fourth U Dimension podcast. This podcast is a production of the Fourth Universalist Society in the city of New York. We use this podcast to dive into our monthly themes around our adult education. For March, our theme is specifically looking at organizing. How do we do it? How do we do it well? Why do we do it? And we are really excited that joining me on today's podcast is Brian Berghoff, who ran as a candidate for Congress in Western Michigan, solidly known as Republican country. And I am very excited to get to sit down and talk with him a little bit about this journey and about what it taught him about organizing. So I'm really excited to get to sit down today with Brian Berghoff, who is a guest coming from my my homeland of West Michigan, uh, to join me and and talk a little bit about life as a as a former congressional candidate. Brian, would you like to introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure. It's great to be with you today. Thanks for having me again. Uh, my name is Brian Berghoff. I'm a pastor in Holland, Michigan, in the United Church of Christ. Uh, pastoring my third congregation here and each of the congregations I've pastored uh, in Traverse City, Michigan, Washington, D.C., and now Holland were all churches that I started. So I'm a church planter as well as pastor. I'm a dad, have four kids. I'm a published author, an activist, and more recently, I guess, a politician. I've not had any former, you know, candidates for public office come on to the podcast yet. So you get to be uh, the first there, but you know, we actually did become acquainted with each other uh, doing doing ministry work in, in West Michigan as well, right. which is where we built our connection. What motivated you, as someone with more of this this religious studies, church planting type of background? What motivated you to make that jump to like, hey, I'm going to run for Congress? Like, why not? <laughs> Good question. And uh, you know, I think in many ways. It, it flowed naturally out of the work I do as a pastor, as a community organizer. You know, we're already working on issues uh, like climate change, immigration, gun violence, um, affordable housing, you name it. And, you know, in a, in a single congregation, in a, in a smallish town, you feel like there's, you know, so much, only so much impact that you can have. It's not, you know, it's not small, it's important needed work. Uh, but when I was, I was actually asked to consider running. So this was not something I sought out. It was some local Democrats uh, were looking for a good candidate in Michigan's second congressional district. And they had seen my activism in the community and, and I guess perceived that I had a way of bringing people together and, and getting people excited. And they said, would you consider running for Congress? And my immediate thought was, heck no, why would I do that? I enjoy my life right now. Why would I, you know, do something uh, as outrageous as that? But I didn't say no. <laughs> so I thought about it, uh, prayed about it, uh, talked with my partner Christy about it, and uh, in the end, I f- I felt like most of the reasons I had for saying no were kind of fear-based, like feeling like, well, who am I to do this? Or you know, I've never done this before. Uh, sort of that imposter syndrome kind of thing. But in the end, I, th- I felt like there's too much at stake in this election cycle uh, for our country, for our community in West Michigan. And I've got four kids who are watching me as an example and a role model. So I decided, let's do it. Yeah, so our, our theme this month for like our adult education is to think about like organizing. You know, we, we have some stuff going on as far as the history of our own congregation. We're thinking about, 
you know, what does it mean to be an organization? What does it mean to organize? What does it mean to do this nitty gritty work? So could you tell us a, bit, a little bit about life in a political campaign? Not, not many of us can say that, you know, we've had that experience of being involved in that nitty gritty uh, organization behind a political campaign. Yeah, I, I hadn't either, at least not from the inside. You know, I, I've worked on campaigns sort of as a, you know, a volunteer, not super heavily involved, though. But man, when you run for office and you are the candidate, it immediately consumes your life. It is more than a full-time job just running for office. And I'm really fortunate to have a, a congregation that was very supportive of me doing this. And they knew there was going to be large draws on my time and that some of the things I normally do for our church, I was going to have to pull back from and others were going to have to step up and, and help out with. And they uh, more than did that, which was really great. So it's, you know, it's really busy. Uh, you almost immediately begin to assemble a, a team of, of people, a campaign manager, um, people who are working with you on fundraising, organizing, and then as things go, uh, you bring in field organizers and try to grow the team uh, in terms of campaign staff. Uh, and then certainly you're always looking to build and add volunteers. So, it, you know, it's, it's a lot of meeting up with folks. You know, I had the chance, so a lot of your listeners may not be familiar with West Michigan, but I'm in Holland. We're on the um, the west side of the state along Lake Michigan. So just a couple hours north of Chicago. And then the district goes a couple miles, or I should say a couple hours north of that yet all the way up to Ludington, and then inward toward the Grand Rapids area. So a, a large section of the Lake Michigan shoreline. So it's a pretty large geographic area. So I suddenly, you know, have to get to know people all over the district. And so I'm showing up in places like Muskegon, Spring Lake, uh, Kentwood, Wyoming, the Grand Rapids area, up in Ludington, uh, and, and some of these really uh, rural areas off the beaten path, just to show up, introduce myself, and get to know people. So I put a lot of miles on the car, and, uh, and really, yeah, that was really the best part of the campaign was meeting so many new people who wanted to see good things happen uh, and who aligned with the values, the democratic values that I was bringing to the race. Then I would also add that a huge part of running for office is the money. And so when I wasn't at official events, I was on the phone calling people to ask for money. <laughs> that was not my favorite thing to do, but you have to do it because it takes a lot of money. And I was running against a well-funded opponent who's part of the West Michigan sort of Betsy DeVos network, gets a lot of uh, you know, corporate PAC money that I knew I wasn't going to get. So it, mine was going to be a grassroots campaign. So lots of phone calls, lots of fundraising. Yes. So, I mean, you're, you're in a district that uh, obviously to, to some extent with, with that, that wide area is perhaps a little, a little gerrymandered um, if we're talking American politics, as well as that it's, it's very much this solidly um, historically Republican, like because you know the, there's this there's there's this entrenched power, the same power that got Betsy DeVos a job in the Trump administration. There's this entrenched power that that's very much there that you were you were up against. Certainly, I took all that into consideration before jumping into run uh, as a Democrat in a solidly Republican district, and it's been since the 1930s, I believe, that. Um, this district has had a Republican in Congress. So that's a long time. And, uh, and the last time one of the main counties in my district, Ottawa County, the last time Ottawa County voted for a Democrat 
for president, it was voting against Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> so if that tells you anything about some of the realities, um, and so you might wonder, you know, well, is it is it even worth it, you know, because you know, going in, your chances of winning are not high. And so a large part of what I had to do was make the case for why this was a race worth getting involved in, whether that means vol spending volunteer hours, organizing, knocking doors, or giving money to. And so I had to work on that. And one of the parts is, I, you know, I began to, you know, look at this race and look at all the angles and, and, and discover, you know, there, it's not an easy path, but I think there is a path for a Democrat to win this seat. And you need to leverage every possible angle to make that a reality, but also to make that argument for those you're seeking to invest in. But also you have to help people know that when you um, are investing in this campaign, we are also on the ground organizing for statewide races. So Michigan had a really important Senate seat uh, and which was going to be a really close race, ended up really close. And we know how critical it was for Democrats to try to have a chance to get the majority in the, in the, in the Senate. And Michigan's Senator Gary Peters absolutely had to be reelected for that even to be a possibility. And so we were helping organize, uh, you know, up and down the ballot. And we also, of course, know Michigan as a swing state and the presidential was very critical for Joe Biden getting elected and defeating Trump. And so really helping people see the larger picture that when you invest in this race, you're not only helping in the second congressional district, you're helping for local city uh, races, township races, state of Michigan legislature races, and also up the ballot for Senate and uh, presidential. And we saw that pay off because we reelected a Democratic senator and Michigan went for Joe Biden. And in fact, we saw that Ottawa County in my district had the second largest shift of votes for the Democrat in the presidential in the state of, in the whole state of Michigan, all hundred plus counties. Second biggest shift toward a Democrat was in my county in our most conservative, in my district in our most conservative county. So I felt good about that. Well, I think, you know, so for some additional context, uh, as somebody who's a little bit of a political junkie, as well as someone who has lived in West Michigan, uh, you know, Donald Trump, both of his elections uh, ended his campaigning in Grand Rapids, Michigan and West Michigan. Yeah. Um, and so uh, this is somewhere that, that, while maybe the city itself of Grand Rapids in some areas maybe have this more liberal feel, it is, it's a very... Um, this is some place that, that Trump felt he could count on. And the, the congressman that you were up against was a very staunchly Trump Republican. So in another way, you were also a bit of a microcosm of making a case for uh, what a different candidate would look like compared to somebody who was you know, making some absurd comparisons about uh, being persecuted for having to wear masks, if I remember correctly. Yes, he, he made, in our, in our debate, uh, he made the comparison of being being asked to wear masks to uh, the uh, forced uh, imprisonment of internment of Japanese Americans uh, during um, World War II, which was just this outrageous comparison and outlandish. And that does give you a taste of, of what we were up against. So yes, we really felt like we brought, um, we brought a real contrast to the current representation in Congress. And you know, West Michigan's a very religious area. And so it was really an interesting dynamic in the race that, that I was running as a pastor and as a Christian, uh, 
and that I actually had the endorsement of the former denominational heads of two of the largest um, denominations in our area, uh, in the Christian Reformed Church in North America and the Reformed Church in America. Um, again, these were the former, not sitting uh, presidents of these denominations, but the fact that they looked at this race and said, we're going to endorse the Democrat. That was that I felt really good about that. And I felt like it helped make the case for people who were feeling disillusioned by the Republican Party under Donald Trump that, hey, I can trust this Democrat with my vote. Well, because you had you had a little bit of your own personal political journey over the years as well, if I remember right from the campaign literature. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I mean, as someone who grew up in West Michigan in a conservative Christian household, I mean, I was sort of immersed in uh, in politics as being a Republican growing up. And in fact, even in college uh, at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, I was part of the college Republican. So I felt like a little bit of a rebel in liberal Ann Arbor. <laughs> but, you know, as my own spiritual journey shifted and the more I, you know, really you know, read the Gospels and understood the, the liberating uh, ministry of Jesus, I began to realize my politics were, were sort of backwards uh, in terms of if I'm going to really emulate this person of Jesus and the kind of uh, the kinds of things he represented, you know, helping the poor, helping the oppressed and the marginalized, I got to really rethink my political commitments. And so um, my spiritual journey really uh, was accompanied by a political journey. So turning back to the campaign, you were talking a little bit about how important uh, money it was, uh, that that you know, was a realization, like that, that it was something that you needed to do in terms of organizing. What other like, lessons did you really take away as far as like, how do we organize well around issues, around candidates, around uh, you know, wider social change? How do we organize better? Yeah, a key part to, to organizing is finding um, Finding key leaders throughout your area who who have an affinity for and a, an alignment with your values and want to want to work toward the same kinds of change you do, and so we were really able to tap into uh, some immigrant communities, uh, some Hispanic Latino communities, some African American communities, uh, as well as you know meeting heads of various nonprofits who were doing work around issues that I cared about and getting buy-in from them and then tapping into their networks. And so it's a lot of relationship building, relational networking, and then getting people to, to buy into your campaign um, because it's really their campaign. <laughs> and, and then they can reach people that I never could because they already have those relationships. And so, you know, it's really trying to empower people to, to use their networks uh, in a sort of, um, I don't know if spiraling is maybe not the right word, but you know, you're trying to you're trying to expand the network uh, way beyond yourself because it can never be you know solely well who does the candidate know, you know it has to be who are the leaders in all of these uh, communities up and down the lakeshore and throughout the district who are already in place who already have the relationships and how can we work with them and so you know we worked with obviously the different uh, Democratic county parties. There are um, parts of eight different counties in Michigan or in our district. And so we connected with all the different county parties. And I'd show up at their you know, monthly meetings, uh, initially in person, and then, of course, after COVID uh, via Zoom and, um, and build relationships, get buy-in, get people excited, and then you know, make sure they're ready and they know 
okay, what can I do? And so we had people who'd show up to local farmers markets and bring our literature and just sit there and, uh, or walk to the different stands and say, hey, have you heard about Brian Burkoff's campaign for Congress? Uh, and you know, in, in an election year like 2020 where there's a presidential race and you have a lot of energy absorbed toward the top of the ticket, you'd be surprised how many people aren't paying attention even to a race for US Congress. And sometimes people aren't even aware who their member of US Congress is, believe it or not. And so there's a lot of informing you have to do. And so you need people who can show up in their communities. They already have the respect, the standing, the relationships who can then help you uh, increase awareness and get more people organized and involved. I'm kind of curious. I, I didn't even think to, to ask about it previously, but you know, specifically, what was the experience like doing, in the, doing this, you know, a lot of it by Zoom in the midst of COVID? Um, and if I remember correctly, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that uh, it, while you were willing to do a Zoom debate, there was there was a little bit of pushback from your your opponent uh, as well. So I know like the Zoom presented some unique challenges. Yeah, I mean, n- none of us, no matter what we were doing in 2020, foresaw our lives going virtual the way they did because of the pandemic. And you know, as Uh, someone who, of course, wanted to model the kind of leadership we wanted to see once I was in office, you know, our campaign certainly took, you know, every step to be as careful as possible by doing events virtually whenever possible. But of course, that that's a real drawback when you're a when you're not the incumbent, you know, so I think the pandemic really gave more advantage to my opponent, because he's already a known quantity. He's been in office five terms. People know his name. He's already got the the brand awareness, if you will, that I don't as a first-time candidate. And so then not being able suddenly to show up in person for a lot of things that we had previously planned and counted on, that really shifted um, things. And we had to work. So, you know, we developed a campaign podcast and we did a lot of stuff on on Facebook Live. We tried to produce more video content to our YouTube channel. I tried to be more active on on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, checking in with people uh, and then really trying to organize people by Zoom as, as much as possible. And some of the positives of Zoom is that we were able to bring people together from all across the geographic stretches of the district in a single meeting because nobody had to drive. So we tried to find the positives and really um, leverage those and make those work. But I think on the whole, it made it more difficult as a first time candidate for us to really get the name recognition we needed in the end. That being said, I, I remember somebody shared like a, a tweet that you had done around the, ele- the time of the election uh, like, you know, this was a screenshot of your tweet that was shared on their Facebook. You know, this is someone completely unrelated who I would never have thought would have known anything about it, about who you were. And to see that, like, just shared by this other person, I'm like, like wow, it's, it's a small world. Like, all of a sudden, like, this is somebody I know and <laughs> have worked with in the past. I, it was a little bit weird. So there is a growing name recognition, apparently. Um, so <laughs> it, it yeah, does happen. I mean, it, 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 you need a little bit of it, uh, certainly. You know, I was hoping, you know, to be one of those candidates who went viral on Twitter, and I never really had that unfold. I certainly, you know, had more followers than than ever, and and you know, a lot of friends who have much bigger followings than I, who are willing to sort of, you know, amplify my Twitter presence. Um, but again, you know, uh, facing a, an incumbent who already has the the larger presence, both digitally and physically, and and 
you know, in the ether, so to speak. It was hard to play catch up to that, but we did it. You know, I'm proud of the race we ran and the effort we we gave, and we actually set a record for the most Democrat votes ever for a candidate for Congress in this district. So while we didn't win, and I actually still lost by a fair amount, we did set a record for turnout. So I feel good about that. I think it's definitely something worth worth feeling good about. I remember watching it from a distance, even as the rest of the election uh, night unfolded, and it was it was you know, encouraging to at least see that it was larger numbers than I would have expected turning out in that area of the yeah. world. Well, and as somebody, I had a I had a tweet about when I was living in Vietnam. I had a tweet about their Corona response get retweeted by Trevor Noah, and I went viral. And uh, you know what? It, it's it's overrated. Um, it, <laughs> It just led to my phone just being overwhelmed for like a solid day. So I think you're probably better off. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I remember that tweet and that was that was well done. So switching gears a little bit, uh, obviously uh, running an election is community organizing work, but so is ministry, especially if your ministry is starting new congregations. What have you learned about like community organizing through your through your work in churches? Absolutely. Um, when you're starting a new church, uh, it's it's in many ways uh, entrepreneurial work. It's it's networking, relationship building, and and so a lot of the skills that were were I needed to draw upon in running for office were things that I'd already sort of cultivated in starting new congregations. And um, you know what we've been able to do, I think, in in the West Michigan area is try to be a really vocal, visible presence for justice. Um, for the LGBTQ plus community. Um, I remember a couple of years back uh, when there was a um, talk of Congress spending, I think maybe 500 billion or, or 50 billion toward the wall. And there was news that I think that broke on a Friday. Our church was able to organize people by the next morning, Saturday morning, we had people on the street, uh, downtown Holland, holding signs, you know, saying, hey, this isn't right. And our local newspaper had a front page uh, headline the next day, local church rallies against the wall. And, you know, so while we didn't bring out huge numbers to that, that protest, uh, we were able to engage the conversation in a religiously conservative area that not all people of faith and not all Christians uh, believe the status quo right now is acceptable. And I think it's important to be a, a visible vocal presence that way. And so we found working with other communities of faith and other nonprofits and other organizations to be really important in our organizing work. And, and for me, as a, a new church start, you might sometimes think, well, we don't want people to maybe get pulled to these other churches because we're trying to start our own. But I've actually found that the more you collaborate and um, and you know, work with other communities and lift up what they're doing. That 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 turns out to reciprocate, and it's a win-win. And it's not like we're all competing for the same tiny pie. We're all working for good things to happen in our area. And you know, the people who who feel called to find a spiritual home with our community will find their way. But I don't need to try to force that. We just need to embody our values and trust that good things will will come about. So yeah, organizing is a, is a huge piece of it and will, being willing to collaborate with others has been really essential uh, in my experience. Definitely, and I mean, and I think you really hit at there and you've, you, we've kind of hit on it in a lot of the questions uh, is 
that you know this while while it may not have had the the statistical win uh, there was a lot of of big progress that happened uh, through this campaigning and through the work that Holland UCC has done as well. Uh, and you know, I think uh, as somebody who has been moving around a lot in the last few years, uh, you know, I still think that that like West Michigan and especially Grand Rapids, perhaps you know, highest up there in the thinks very highly of itself cities. <laughs> um, <laughs> But that being said, I have now settled in the New York City area, and I don't know that any city thinks higher of itself than New York City. Um, but at the same time, it is quite strange when you find out that, say, a celebrity lives around the corner from your church. It's, it's a different sort of experience. But so for the folks that, that are maybe part of our congregation or maybe some of my listeners, they might not know a lot about life in the Midwest. Um, our senior minister and, and I are both from the Midwest and we're, we're trying to bring that Midwest flavor. Um, but why do you think it's important for us to, to be not thinking of, of the Midwest, of thinking of the whole swaths of the country as flyby states? How, why is it important for us to be doing this work? Yeah, I think it's, it's worth investing in because, well, we, we just saw it in this recent presidential election, how critical uh, certain swing states are, no matter where they are in the map, but certainly Midwestern states uh, like Michigan and Wisconsin. And that can impact the whole country, right? So it, when Michigan went for Trump in 2016, we were all devastated. And that was a key part of the cog of him being elected. And that impacts all of us, whether we live in that Midwestern state or whether we live in New York City, uh, LA or wherever. And so really important to engage uh, the political process in states where you might think, oh, you know, that what's what's of importance there you know what what's happening there and also to remember that we have we do have um thought leaders influential people uh in a place like the state of michigan where we have you know major universities uh and in west michigan where we have a lot of uh publishing houses in the grand rapids area and a number of theological seminaries and so we have people who have a voice that's national and global in these midwestern states and um, and we need to help, you know, when they're doing work we we agree with and, and that we want to promote that we're, you know, we're tapping into that and we're connected to that. And there's major cities, you know, just around the corner from us in Chicago is just down, down the road uh, along the Lake Michigan shoreline. We have Grand Rapids, the second largest um, city in the state, and really Detroit's not that far away. And so the work that we do uh, has national consequences and it's important you know especially if you're in a place like you're in a congressional district let's say that it's pretty decidedly democratic um or your local senate race your state senate race i should say um or even where your state's electoral college votes are going to go to to look around the country and say there are places where it's not a given and there are places where a state is in play or a congressional district or a senate race is in play how can i adopt one of those and invest in it. And that can mean, you know, obviously financial support, but it can mean more than that. It can mean writing, we had people writing postcards uh, around the country, not just in West Michigan, that would, were sent to homes in my district saying, hey, here's why I think Brian Burkoff is gonna make a difference in Congress and why you should consider voting for him. And so you can write postcards, you can uh, repost, material on social media. And there's a lot you can do uh, to support local organizing events across the country. Uh, and so I think it's really, it's critical work. And I think, you know, we've seen 
people realize this more and more, I think, especially after the 2016 election and a lot of, you know, there's a lot of organizations across the country doing this work, but it can be easy to forget or to think, well, I'll just focus locally, but sometimes it's worth looking around and saying where else might need my help. Definitely, definitely. When I know that, you know, maybe lots of folks will hear about someone who's like running against Mitch McConnell and suddenly there's tons and tons of money t- tossed <laughs> yeah. towards them. But, you know, it's sometimes these these less glamorous districts that yeah. that really can, uh, you know, need some have it'd be really vital to just have that little bit of money to help shift uh, the dynamics a little bit or that exactly. bit of support and campaigning like yeah, it, it really it makes a difference. And, you know, I think I can't help but think about, you know, whether it's thinking about like the South and how many of us in, in the North, you know, will write it off as like, oh, it's just Republican down there. And we don't think about the dynamic of voter suppression or that, you know, uh, like we, um, many people would have written off Georgia and then Georgia went for, for Biden. And, you know, these, um, these, yeah. these shifts can happen, but it takes this hard work and persistence and it takes consistent organizing on the ground and making these connections like you've been talking about. Absolutely. And we had people from West Michigan, from my district, who who drove down, you know, after our election was over, drove down to Georgia. And they said, we are going to be on the ground in Georgia right through this runoff election. And we saw it pay off. Definitely. And I think that that's, you know, a lesson for all of us that we can we can find our ways to, to plug in, to build those relationships and really start making those connections in our communities. Uh, so, Bri- Brian, thank you so much for, for joining us uh, today for the fourth U Dimension podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been a delight. Really enjoyed it. And Brian, for anybody that wants to follow your tweets and help them go viral or just get to know you a little bit better, what are some places where they could engage your content? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at pub theologian at pub theologian and then you can uh, follow my facebook page uh, facebook.com slash brian burkoff that's b-r-y-a-n-b-e-r-g-h-o-e-f same on instagram so you can follow me on any of those places Uh, i'd love to see you there and i can vouch that uh, while i may be on my social media fast right now that overall brian is a a great person to follow on social media for any of our listeners we do Uh, i will make sure that all of that is in the likes show notes as well the follows the subscribes Uh, we are on soundcloud itunes and spotify so we always appreciate that it helps make sure that our content is more visible